Welcome to Self-Care Hacks, the short podcast for overwhelmed and stressed out women who want to learn how to take better care of themselves. I'm your host, Anita Ojeda. I used to suffer from overwhelm and stress too, but I've learned how to take care of myself and take care of others. You can too. I stood in line waiting to board the plane. After two gate changes and mechanical malfunctions, I yearned to sink into my cramped seat and relax, as much as one can relax on an airplane. I hoped against hope that the loud lady in line in front of me had a seat at the opposite end of the airplane. I couldn't help but overhear her voice and cringe at the words pouring out of her mouth. My kids are such little, blank, 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 she exclaimed to her travel companion, another younger lady. Mine too, the companion said. They're so picky in what they eat, I end up cooking three different meals every night. One for the girl, one for the boy, and one for my husband and I. It's just easier not to be home, loud lady exclaimed. The little brats never pick up after themselves, and they fight all the time. The tirade continued as she enumerated all of her children's faults. It seems as if they got in trouble at home and at school and had jumped on the fast track to delinquency. I heaved a sigh of gratefulness when the gate agent announced the passengers could now board. Finally. As I made my way to my seat, I couldn't help but feel sorry for those women and their hapless children. Because, face it, there is no such thing as a perfect kid. But there is something about the importance of speaking well of our children. My kids weren't perfect. But my husband and I, as educators, had both heard of the Pygmalion effect and had made a pact to always speak well of our children. Don't get me wrong. When our children misbehaved, we spoke, but always to them and in private as often as possible. Psychologists Rosenthal and Jacobson first wrote about the Pygmalion effect in 1968 when they published their findings after studying an elementary school for a year. They set up their experiment by lying to a few teachers and telling them that their incoming class of students had been specially selected because a new Harvard intelligence test had predicted these students would bloom intellectually within the next year. In reality, the students had all taken a regular IQ test and the researchers selected them at random for the study. Surprisingly, each student in the about-to-bloom group scored higher on the standard IQ test at the end of that school year. In addition, they got good grades and posed few behavior problems for their teachers. The researchers, Rosenthal and Jacobson, concluded that positive expectations teachers thought they had a class of potentially brilliant students, resulted in positive outcomes. Conversely, negative expectations result in negative outcomes. Our thoughts about a person, including our children, dictate our behavior towards that person, which in turn has a subsequent effect on how that person acts and reacts, thus further fueling our positive or negative interactions. In other words, Rosenthal and Jacobson proved that adage first attributed to Henry Ford in 1947, which says, Whether you believe you can do a thing or not, you are right. Of course, once the researchers admitted to lying about student intelligence, no one has successfully replicated the exact results of their study. Rosenthal and other researchers have continued to study the Pygmalion effect, searching for the key as to why expectations influence the outcomes. 
In the 1980s, Rosenthal published a study which identified four key nonverbal elements that subtly influence behavior, climate, input, output, and feedback. While Rosenthal specifically studied teachers in classrooms, it stands to reason that these same four nonverbal elements affect our children as well. Here are how the four elements relate to our parenting. Number one, climate identifies the general attitude. Do we act in a warm and friendly way toward our children, or do we see them as the adversary? The two ladies in line at the airport clearly saw their children as the adversary. Number two, input identifies the amount of time we spend with our child. Do we spend quality time and energy in interacting with our children? Or do we see them as bothersome? Would we rather interact with them or sit them down in front of the television for an hour of watching Paw Patrol? Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you have to constantly entertain your children and that they should never watch television. All I'm saying is that we need to have positive input with our children on a daily basis. Number three, output identifies the expectations we have for our children. Do we expect them to give good answers, have intelligent conversations with us, and be able to problem solve? If we expect those things, they will probably do those things. Expectations equals output. Of course, we may have to teach them how to problem solve and how to have intelligent conversations and how to give good answers, but those are all things that are part of parenting. Number four, feedback identifies the kind of feedback we give to our children. Do we speak harshly or disparagingly when they make poor choices? Or do we encourage them to explain their reasoning and help them find better alternatives? So what does the Pygmalion effect have to do with verbal interactions? Well, don't get me wrong. Pedro and I had plenty of discussions about our kids' behavior behind closed doors. When we saw a trait or pattern that concerned us, we brainstormed ways of dealing with the problem. We knew we didn't have perfect children, but we also knew they didn't have perfect parents. In fact, we were far from perfect. Our rules about verbal interactions look something like this. Number one, never make excuses for our kids. We never told a stranger, oh, she's shy, because that can turn into a crutch and a self-fulfilling prophecy. Instead, we would coach our kids on how to interact appropriately with others. The second thing we did is we tried to praise the product and encourage the child. We garnered this one from a talk by Barbara Coloroso who has some excellent books on teaching and parenting. This looks like honest praise. When your youngster shows you a paper full of stick figures, don't automatically say, Oh, that's beautiful. You're such a good artist. Kids know when someone is shining them on. Have a conversation about the picture instead. Ask them what each thing represents. When they finish, say, I can see how much work you've put into this picture. Thank you for sharing it with me. I can't wait to see what you draw next. So in other words, you praise the product and encourage the child. Don't praise the child. When our girls were young, we encouraged their efforts by buying their books and pieces of artwork. Fortunately, they never charged much. Three, expect your children to be each other's best friend. Before our girls started school, I found a beautiful book by Dr. John Trent called Spider Sisters. We read it to them often and had the expectation they would stick up for each other, play well with each other, and have a ready-made friend for life. It worked. They're still best friends. Number four, when we messed up, we learned how to ask for a do-over. I started using this one when our girls entered their teen years and started boundary pushing. My short temper often dug a hole for me that I didn't want to stay in. I would take a deep breath, 
say a quick prayer, and ask if we could replay the scene. At first, I think they thought I'd lost my mind, but replaying the scene with the intention of making it turn out well always changed the outcome. Don't confuse speaking well about your children with bragging about your children. Speaking and thinking well of your children involves a lifelong intentional attitude which helps your child develop to the greatest of his or her potential. Bragging just makes other people uncomfortable. Of course, human nature loves to show off and brag, so I confess to bragging on occasion. Hopefully I don't do it too often. I like to share the good news about my kids' accomplishments on Facebook. They have both overcome obstacles that have shaped them into the caring, intelligent, creative, compassionate, witty, resourceful, beautiful young women they are today. I greatly admire both of them. And after all, isn't that the point of having children, raising someone that you can admire? Don't forget the four hacks that will help you learn to speak well of your children. Hack number one, never make excuses for your kids. Hack number two, praise the product and encourage the child. Hack number three, expect your children to be each other's best friends. Or, if you have a single, expect your child to learn how to become a good friend. Hack number four, when you mess up, learn how to ask for a do-over. I'll leave a link in the show notes with more information on the do-over. Come back next week when I talk about how to know when you need to see a therapist or a counselor and what the difference is. Take care of yourselves, my friends. You are worth it. You can find me at selfcarehacks.net or check out the show notes for links to my social media accounts. If you enjoyed this podcast, take the time to tell a friend. Together, we can build each other up and teach each other how to take better care of ourselves. I'll see you here next Tuesday with more self-care hacks to help you overcome the overwhelm.